This is my favorite LP in uh, that direction. There's other things I love on George's stuff, and, uh, but uh, this Plastic Ono band LP this is my favorite. Welcome to this week's One Day with Fab. I'm Ed Chin. I'm John Stone. And because we can't have him back for just one week, Mr. Darren Murphy. Hey, hey. Always good to be here. So let's see. We're going to pick up from where we left off last time. Uh, We got through the singles and we got through Mother because that that is our tradition. We're going to end uh, end all of these shows at Mother. (laughs) Both of these gentlemen are professional musicians they have a significant history uh singer songwriters and in the recording studio and they're giving us sort of their impressions of what is in the the demos on the uh john lennon plastic on band ultimate collection and then the elements mixes we left off at mother that's right which would lead on to hold on right yeah let's start with hold on Hold on, world, world, 
does anyone know like the genesis of this particular tune? There is a home demo for it, right? No, not a home demo. There's a studio demo. Okay. Uh, so this one actually had its genesis in the studio. Right. You don't know what there is in the collection. Maybe there is no demo of Hold On, or the demo is on a cheap cassette that's so bad it wouldn't work here. So It can't be worse than My Mummy's Dead. Perhaps, but whatever it was about My Mummy's Dead was so perfect that that's the only way that song ever got recorded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, John didn't we, want a... Uh, a finished studio version of My Mommy is Dead. No, I mean, he had even all the EQs, the whole thing is just, you know, he got whatever it was in that demo. That is the most brilliant part of that particular recording because you really can't imagine hearing it any other way. And it's such a, 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 a blunt and, uh, and stark statement that is perfect, but also the recording itself kind of leaves you with some mystery, uh, not to cut all the way to the end of the, the album, but uh, it, right. it makes you wonder. Um, it, it has a timelessness to it, and it could have been recorded at any point in his life and career. It could have been a, a demo he laid down before meeting Paul, or could have been a demo he recorded just the day before. And there are only two takes of it, despite the fact that they include it six times in this set. <laughs> well, you, you, you right. got to do it somehow. <laughs> so hold on. Apparently no lo-fi version exists of that. So it was born right there in the studio. And I seem to remember it being slightly faster when they were working on it, working through different tempos. I think Ringo was playing uh, double time, sort of like a I'm a loser sort of beat. Yeah, exactly. The take that's here as a demo is not actually one of the early, early takes. The studio demo, hold on. The studio demo is, is actually take seven. Okay. Interesting. Now, was that an, an error that was made by the folks who were putting the, the descriptions together or, the, or the, the engineers at the studio that were actually writing the info on the tape boxes? Well, what do you want to believe? It actually does probably (laughs) seem to be take seven. Uh, Now, whether they are intentionally trying to mislead by what is included in the box or whether they were just sloppy is up for question. Based upon other things, they just didn't quite triple check everything in the book as what is my favorite example from the from the jams disc uh, john is playing uh, glad all over from carl perkins and it is credited as the dave clark five glad all over <laughs> oh that's so. a travesty yeah. there's there's no way john lennon ever covers dave clark five ever no no not no. that i don't like i like them very much but no there's there's just no way Okay. <laughs> Sounds like Dave Clark. <laughs> right, um, I, so, to answer your question, is it a mistake? Are they having a little bit of fun? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it seems that during all of these sessions, it's almost like a get back. It was just so easy to go off on a tangent and do a little bit of a, a golden oldie cover jam on that for a little bit and then get back to business i guess if nothing else just to keep the spirit light to keep things fun 
and to keep the high humor going because uh, there could be some heavy moments emotionally for John during the making of that record. It was such a catharsis for him. Yeah, I'm sure they cut out parts where someone leans in and goes, uh, give us a few, we have to work something out here. And so they're just playing between takes. You know, it's A particular bit that I liked where you know John and, and Ringo is having a little bit of trouble coming in at the right time. Uh, and this was always a mystery to me, the way that there's a, the song is edited at the very beginning in the way that it appears on the record. And so the sessions reveal this additional part of this lick that John is playing. Then I'm not quite sure why there was a cut there. Maybe John just liked the entire take except for the first two notes that he played on the guitar. But Ringo was having a little bit of trouble latching on and finding the one, defining where the downbeat actually was in that guitar lick so he could come in at the right time. And they eventually were able to work it out, but it, it took them a take or two to get it right. There's some of that chat on there, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, I see. What's happening? I'm losing it now. <laughs> That's what's happening. Oh, was he? Well, it must be because I've always been thinking, come in there, you see. Can, oh, well, okay, let's do it like that. That's the illustration of the evolution of the song, working out how it's going to work. Yeah, otherwise it's a very, very simple tune. Right. Okay, let's see, what's next? But before we leave, though, there is, uh, it, it's, it must be pointed out that at the time, John Lennon's favorite TV show was Sesame Street. Um, which you know, I, I thought was was wonderful because you know it was my favorite TV show at that time as well. And, and you write what you yeah, know. You write what you know. So, What's next? I found out. So, what do you guys think about that pulse beat? Well, I mean, it's kind of the same thing that was going on 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 Mother on the on the demo there. Yeah, but he's not using the effect. He's, he's more playing the effect. You know, one of the things that in my writing um, that I find, you know, you, you write something and you polish it and it goes through a transformation. And quite often I'll go back and rehear that original idea and go, damn, I should have kept that idea. As things evolve, you leave certain ideas behind that are completely valid. That is true. I've experienced that on my own stuff, you know, and I I would work out a song on four track cassette and then, you know, I'd get in the studio and try to capture that energy as much as possible. And, you know, it's, it's still <laughs> wishing that I had just released the four track version. <laughs> right. Well, it's like Jack Douglas in the, in the double fantasy tapes. It's like, you know, John, I can't do any better than this. <laughs> yeah. Well, Pete Townsend, Put out several albums of his demos because he always felt like they were better in a, a certain way than because you keep working towards something and in working all the parts out you may end up just leaving something behind that you think oh, i should have kept that in there but i forgot i just i had moved on that's right and john was definitely a move on kind of guy absolutely one of the great revelations for me was the guitar that he was using i always had just assumed that his go-to guitar was the epiphone casino that he'd used on revolver and revolution and i thought he was getting all of his sounds with that and then i see these pictures 
and these actual drawings from Klaus Vormann. And he's got this resonator guitar with a pickup on it. The Dobro, that I, yeah. That I'd never seen before. And Well, he plays it on, on Imagine. Lennon was known for using resonator guitars. Here he is using a National Resophonic Tricone guitar, uh, also known as a Style 1. He also played slide guitar with a metal slide on his pinky. In this other photo, you can see him here playing a Dobro resonator style guitar. Uh, it, it's hanging on the wall in the Imagine movie. He plays it some and George plays it some. Mm-hmm. I love those Dobros, the, the resonators. That's the, Just the sound is amazing. Yeah, and it's amazing. Like Usually those guitars aren't electrified. They're mic'd. But John had an electric pickup installed in the neck position. So he could plug it into an amp and and get the amp effects, and it's it's amazing how gritty it is. I don't know if he's using a a fuzz pedal along with it because he he did like effects pedals sometimes, but it's so unsettling throughout that entire track, and at the same time. It allows John to really emphasize the rhythmic style of his playing. I think that's the miracle of John Lennon as a rhythm guitarist. And and we've we've talked about this before. He just knows how to get that pick to land on that one string and give it that raunchy sound at exactly the right time along with Ringo's drumming. That's why I found out it's one of my favorite tracks on the records because of what he's doing with that particular resonator guitar right all right next is is working class hero the released version very clearly has a couple of edits in it yeah and that's a mystery to me as well and how that then relates to what we get here the demo is great john is just pouring the emotion out into the vocal in the demo we also get a couple of extra copies of this on the blu-ray by the way yeah now is this is this a demo that he's doing at home in tittenhurst park i assume uh no actually what's on the demo the studio demo is actually take 11 so oh interesting so we don't we don't have the uh the, there's a an earlier studio demo exclusive to the Blu-ray, but because uh, there's a there's a couple of variations that he makes on the melody that he's singing, but obviously he's got the lyrics all uh, figured out. He's got the um, the way that he wants to play the song. So this seems to be one of those tunes that doesn't really evolve so much from take one all the way up to the master. The remarkable thing was that in the take that he decided to use. He had actually forgotten a verse. He had forgotten to sing what they've tortured and scared you for 20 odd years. When they've tortured and scared you for 20 odd years. And then they expect you to pick a career. When you can't really function, you're so full of fear. A working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be So he had to go back and he I guess he came back later but he came back with a different guitar and you know any time that you leave a session and come back and start up a, a new one it's never going to sound quite the same but i mean you don't really notice it you have to listen very closely that there is an edit um that happens right after the second chorus and it's 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 clear that the guitar is different his vocal sound is a little bit different but what's always puzzled me is that there were so many other takes 
in that original session that had the correct verse in it? And why couldn't they just grab one of those and and stick that in? They, they're not bad. There's nothing uh, subpar about them at all. They're all brilliant. I just wonder, there was something about John that just, no, I don't like any of those. I'm going to do it again. Well, I mean, he was always very particular about what he would let out. I mean, the other things, it may have been a Spectre decision, you know. Spectre, even though he wasn't there that much, he, we know that he was there for this song. Yeah, maybe so. It fooled me for years. You know, it, it took a long time before I sat. I may, I may have been on the headphones once and just like, wait a minute. It's a different take. Yeah, it's like Strawberry Fields. You know, once someone tells you there's an edit, you can never unhear that edit. <laughs> Yeah, this, actually, this is the first time I've heard this, and so I'm, I'm just I'm shocked and stunned. <laughs> <laughs> and incidentally, Take One uh, has been released. Uh, it's on the uh, the Lennon anthology. If you're looking for yet another available take of Working Class Hero, <laughs> but they're not they're not significantly different from one another. No, well, I mean that that's kind of the point is that you know, yeah, there, there, there's some instrumentation issues and there there's some little playing issues, but it's. The song was pretty much ready from the beginning in the studio. So do we move on to the next one? People say we got it made. Don't they know we're so afraid? We're afraid to be alone Everybody got to have a home on my Isolation Just a boy and a little girl Trying to change the whole wide world Many years I, 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 
Isolation. One of Johnny Depp's great hits. <laughs> the demo is from the studio. It should just sound like it does in the earphones, you know. Like the piano's very sharp and echoey and the bass is bassy and the drums are drumming. They're all very slow except for the fast ones. We'll try this one now. You can so you can practice chords and everything, you know, just the D one now. So I'm just gonna go where my mood takes. I've really come to like this song a lot. A lot more than I did years ago. That's from October of nineteen seventy. October sixth, nineteen seventy to be Indeed. The the neat thing about uh the Evolution mix is John's double track vocals toward the end there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was I was listening to the entire set, and uh, I didn't have any notes in front of me. I was just listening to these different takes, and I was like, "Well, there's a there's a take here. This is obviously not the the one that ended up on the record, and yet John has overdubbed on it. So, what's the story with this?" And apparently it was just a, uh, a test overdub that he had made uh, because that was temporarily the take that they were going to use. And so I guess John was going to start um, putting a second vocal so he could take it home and listen to it. And I guess uh, he took it home, listened to it and decided it, it wasn't good enough. And so they went back and, and did it a, again a few more times. They did six more takes of that. And and this to me illustrates what a perfectionist John could really be in the studio, yeah. Because you know any one of these of these takes, any other artists would have been proud <laughs> to release, but you know John, and maybe it was because of the starkness of the record, of the minimalist nature of the record, that, that he decided that everything had to be just right, everything had to to land in the groove at the exact right time, because there was nothing to cover for it. Right. And so a naked album like that has got to be right. So it was worth the extra day of, uh, uh, of taking, uh, to get it down. And, uh, and it sure worked because, you know, everything fell into place so much better after that, the organ that comes in, uh, I think there might've been some additional, maybe an additional piano track. Is that John or is that Phil playing that piano? Do we know? I don't know. I always assumed that it was John. Well, I mean, because again, Phil is playing at least some of the piano. You know, he's certainly playing the piano on "Love," and I believe he's playing the piano on a couple of other tracks. And then, then Billy Preston's playing it on "God." Right. There's a take somewhere of some song where Klaus Vormann is on piano. I think it is "God," an earlier take, but we'll get to that later. I liked all that beginning. I can't remember. Just well, just go anything. through the chords. All right. Uh, now, then, then we move on to uh, remember uh, that this is the one that was recorded on John's birthday. Was it October the ninth, nineteen seventy? John's thirtieth birthday. Well, that's that's why George was in the studio. Aha! I did not know that. I guess we can surmise that George was bringing. Uh... It's Johnny's birthday. Well, and that that's why uh, he does that sort of brief happy birthday to me to the tune. <laughs> Uh, that's right. So this and God were um, uh, were recorded on the same day. Yeah, got it. John seems to be having fun, and and as we mentioned in in a previous show, it's actually kind of amazing because uh, he spent the morning uh, yelling at uh, 
his erstwhile father. Oh, that's a juicy detail to throw in. That was the day. That was the day. The the morning of the of the ninth was the last time that John would see Freddy. Boy. And um, was he at, what were the circumstances there? Was he at John's house at the time? Apparently, John had invited him over uh, ex- because he wanted to get some things off his chest. Wow. <laughs> you know, he went, he went a little bit overboard, uh, uh, the, according to uh, F- Freddie's wife, uh, John threatened to kill him and put the body someplace where it would never be found, but... Uh, <laughs> so much for a violent man who regrets his violence. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to break into uh, Give Peace a Chance. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, that, that would become the final time that he ever saw Freddie. And then he goes in the studio and has fun. Yeah, you know, it's kind of wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, there's 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 something about that recording that uh, and and John's particular delivery that uh, that has so much pain to it. You know, you you, you can't help but uh, take a, a a situation like that. So that that kind of confrontation, there's no way that that doesn't make its way into uh, uh, the song that you're singing in some sort of subliminal way. Yeah. That, that break where he talks about, don't you worry the the harmonies on that part is just a great musical moment. Oh, it always made me feel so happy. That was like one of my, during my toughest teen angst moments, I could put that song on and, and just get on the headphones and just soar on a magic carpet. That was like one of the greatest choruses ever. Uh, John's yeah. vocals, Ringo's drums, it's, it's just flawless. It's perfect. Perfect music. Okay, um, next is Love. Now, I was interested to find out that this started out as a guitar song. I was too. So, could we assume that it was Phil Spector that said, mm, this needs some piano. Let me come down and see what I can do. Perhaps, but to me, he just seems to have a habit of doing that, seeing something that work on the piano. Hmm. Interesting. Well, what else are you thinking of? Oh, mainly things in that I've heard from uh, Double Fantasy Sessions. Oh, you're uh, talking about John seeing if it will work, out, work on the piano, not, not Phil. Yes, not Phil. I suppose Phil could have said, I could play that better than you, but I'm not surprised it started on guitar. This one um, seemed to take a long time from start to finish. There were some some thirty eight takes. I'm not sure how many of those takes were <laughs> of the of the basic track. But there's nothing else on it. There's no bass. There's no drums. It was just John being a perfectionist and getting it right. Yeah, and he did. I mean, you know, the, the having heard only the demo, I would have been surprised at the final record. You know, it's just so different. The, the chords are the same and the, a significant amount of the lyrics are the same, but the feel is just completely different. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand that there was a, isn't there, there was like a rehearsal f- for the tune, which never materialized. There was a, uh, when Billy Preston was in the studio and they were working on God, they took a little stab at this tune. Yeah. Who knows where that is or if they're holding it back or even if it, it still exists in the archives. To take a little diversion here, do we think that this is 
almost everything of significance or do you do you still think there are bits and pieces that should be out on the plastic on a band album i mean of course we want to hear everything you know we want we want them to to unroll the whole tape and just play every single second of it for us put that on itunes but that's not going to happen but do you think there's actually significant takes or jams or something on those tapes that they haven't given us yet i hope not (laughs) (laughs) you look at the beatles boxes like the abbey road box is good but there's a whole lot more they could have given us with that uh yes this is true i i uh, i i hate to be the curmudgeon in this group but uh you know when i when i first uh, cracked this thing open. I, I was, I was like really wishing John were still alive, just so he could have said no <laughs> to this whole thing. <laughs> come on, eight CDs. Come on, bro. Yeah, Ed and I had this discussion once before about the choices that end up getting made in this sort of massive release. You know, in the jam session disc, there's a what is it, twenty eight seconds of John kind of playing the riff um, uh, to I've got a feeling. Yeah. And it's like, seriously, folks. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> you have to have a vivid um, imagination to. Uh, right. And, and, and another time he takes a, I think the, the tone on his guitar reminds him of what he played on get back. And so he kind of goes into it, but really loosely. And then they cut, they say he's playing get back and, and I'm thinking we, you know, perhaps have taken it to a point where the artist himself would be going, uh, I don't want that out. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you say that, but how many pet sounds discs have we gotten? We've we've had two separate five or six CD box sets from of pet sounds. You know, I agree totally. But as you said, there's a another version of a working class hero on the John Lennon anthology, and. I mean, it's scattered over other CDs as well. But do you really think there's more from these sessions that anything that would make us go, wow? Because I'm not sure that anybody's really holding on to anything for the 75th anniversary. Yeah, I I don't know. That's why I thought I'd bring up the question here. You know, it's like, I still wouldn't mind if if they're just going to say, okay, here's the whole tape. You know, maybe not put it out on CD, but you want to pay you want to, you want to pay ten bucks to listen to to listen to the uh, all of this one day of sessions. Great, here, have right. it. So the- that, that may be coming a digital dump where they just go. We're just going to put the tapes from this session where you could download them if you want. Mm-hmm. And only <coughs> then will we hear the string quartet original demo of Well, Well, Well. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, that's one thing I hope they do with the Get Back box. I want an official copy of the Nagra Reels. <laughs> uh, not, again, not, not on disc, not in a box, just, you know, five, six, ten bucks for, for each day's worth of the Nagra Reels. Here you go. We cleaned them up. You can listen to them because everybody has them anyway. Who wants them? This is true. Anyway, okay. So as as you were trying to get us uh, to move on to uh, well, 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 which it apparently was called that for a while because he doesn't ever go oh well. It's just well, 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 mm-hmm. well, well, well. Yeah, the the lyrics 
in the demo, and that is a home demo. He hasn't quite figured out the middle bits yet. Right. Or the or really what that whole little guitar bit that he does following the melody hasn't really been worked out. That's right. And it's it, it seems that, you know, from the outset, there doesn't appear to be a lot of deep meaning to this song. It sounds like a, just a snapshot in a, a day in the life of John and Yoko. That's we fair. got up and well, we went to dinner and then uh, we went to, to look at the sky and, and then we, uh, we had an, an intellectual discussion. <laughs> well, we I determined the song's about oral sex, so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we had that discussion. She looks so beautiful, I could eat her. I did. There is a uh, there's a series that's running on Apple TV Plus right now called For All Mankind that actually uses a piece of Well, Well, Well very effectively in a scene. And it's, it's the only time that I've heard any track off of this album being used as soundtrack for something else. But I was so impressed with the choices of the, the music supervisor for that show. I was like, well done. Perfectly used. Hmm. For all mankind. Yes. For all- yeah, the, the, the 10 second brief on that is uh, it imagines that uh, the United States had lost the space race to the moon, and, to the Russians, and therefore it kept going. So, you know, we, we're still trying to, to outdo the Russians into space. But one of the sort of offshoots of that is that John survived. And so, you know, they're doing stories in, in the 80s and into the 90s now. And they, and they talk about what John Lennon is doing. <laughs> Are they right? Well, unfortunately, we don't live in that world. Fortunately or unfortunately. <laughs> That's right. It's a good series if you're a space type person. If you're into, right. into NASA and, and that whole thing, but I'll check it out. If Ronnie Reagan thinks peace is a cliche from the sixties, that's his problem. Peace is forever. Come on, Nancy. Tell your husband to come back to bed. Grow his hair. <clears throat> Maybe I should just go back to bed like John and Yoko. <laughs> the next is is look at me. It's John doing the, the Travis picking. I'd have to practice about a week to do that. I mean, what else? I did Julia and all them like that. I'd have to be doing it for a few days, you know. I just haven't done this for years, for six months, you see. It's too much. I'll strum it. This, to me, is a real emotional song. 
it's on this album. So, you know, it kind of thought of as being part of the whole primal emotional thing. But this actually dated from two years earlier in India when he was just getting into Yoko. And if you look at it as a talk to her about who he is, I just think it's really emotional. Yeah, it really is a, one of his rare attempts at serious introspection. Yeah, what am I supposed to be? Yeah. <laughs> it's know? such an existential. Look, look at me. Look at me. Um, yeah, that was a um, a song that we that we took that actually made its way into the John Lennon musical that uh, um, that we did several years ago. One of the better scenes, I thought, and they used it that tune. Yeah. yeah, we took that song and then we put it under some uh, some of John's quotes, talking about how when he would would look at himself in the mirror as a kid, and you know, surrealism is reality to me, and. Uh, and all this right. stuff, it just seemed to be the you know perfect um, uh, mesh yeah. of of um, of music and vision and anecdotes. And this song, it seems to evolve and then devolve. It starts with this one thing, and then John is trying out all sorts of different arrangements, and then winds up right back where he started. It makes full circle in this yeah. one. Maybe it was just his lack of confidence in his own playing. Yeah, it's true, but it's at some point he was able to to summon it up. I imagine he was listening to those tapes and was listening to his strumming and was like, "No, this it's not good enough for this song. If I really want this song to be what I envision it, then I'm going to rise to the occasion and I'm going to do the work." You know, John was just that kind of guy. Yeah. Do we know whether or not the home demo dates back to '68? Uh, we've had it packaged on bootlegs with the other Lennon demos from uh, 68. The bootleg version has a false start. I'm blocking it right. If it was his 68 demo, then, you know, he resurrected the song and it goes through those permutations and then he ends up with, no, it's that original thing that was the best. Well, I mean, you say resurrected, we're really only talking about not even two years what, was it really resurrected? You know, you say resurrected, that's something like George and not guilty. It's like, okay, that's eight, nine years later. You move on from songs, you know, if you're continuing to write and new ideas. And so a song that's two years old would have to be kind of a resurrection, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, and there was a cluster of songs that John was writing around the same time, uh, just after he had learned this finger-picking style off of Donovan when they were in Rishikesh. And so right. Dear Prudence and Julia and Look at Me and Happiness is a Warm Gun all emerged from that period with that identical finger-picking style. And yet they're all completely different songs. Yeah. We did decide that you could swap Julia and Look at Me and, and it would neither make the White Album any worse or make uh, Plastic on a Band any worse. This is true. You know, one could argue that Julia is actually more appropriate on the Plastic Ono Band album because there's so much about his mother in that record. It, it, it works so well, the, the that song particularly, because it is about Julia and Yoko, and the, the dealing of both those subjects would have been a, an incredible closer of, on this album. Mm. Not to go too far off on a tangent myself, but um, I recall being in Las Vegas and seeing the Beatles' love show, and there's a moment, an odd one, but it's also kind of a beautiful one, and it's a little a bit of a loop of John playing his little finger-picking thing on Julia. And 
it never goes into the song. It's just a little bit of John playing it on guitar. And then right after that, you hear this siren, this emergency vehicle coming by. And there's a bit of a moment of chaos that turns into I am the walrus, a suggestion of some sort of a, of a trauma in John's life that shaped it and turned him into this sort of iconic presence that he would become later in life. Yeah, the, the, that whole show handles John's trauma. It fictionalizes it very well. Now, again, how close that comes to what John actually thought and felt, who knows? But to, as an audience member, it, it hits you. Mm-hmm. They didn't want me, so they made me a star. <laughs> it's a great line, yeah. too. Then the, the next to the last track is indeed God, uh, which also starts out on guitar. It does. I love that acoustic demo. I love the, his, the little uh, uh, preface that he puts at the beginning. I had a vision from an angel. The angels must have sent me to deliver this to you. Now hear me now, brothers and sisters. Was the angel on a flaming pie? We don't know. <laughs> the demo vibe of it reminded me of uh, starting over in the idea of that 50s feel, more gospel. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Well, and that's what he says in the studio is like, you know, I, I thought this was going to be a gospel record and this doesn't sound anything like gospel at all. <laughs> and that's, that's, of course, why they bought Billy Preston in. Right. The thing that gets me on the, the guitar demo is that on piano in the final version, it's a big point that I don't believe in in Beatles. On the guitar demo, it's like, yeah, this is just another thing I don't believe in. I just believe in me, so let's move on. Yeah, and that's that's right. how the music the music can move you at some point. You know, sometimes you play the music, sometimes the music plays you. And John did wait until after because he knew that he couldn't sing that stuff the way he wanted to sing it and play it on the piano at the same time. And so, you know, while they're doing that definitive take, he's he's delivering a very much under, I think a lot of us are just an octave lower, just as a guide vocal for the for the rest of the band. But he waits until he's got the headphones on and he's just standing at the mic to really drive home that message. And what a uh, what a punch it packs for sure. Yeah, when, when I heard it the first time. Uh, as a much younger person, I actually was like, no, <laughs> you can't not believe in Beatles. <laughs> well, he takes it back a few years later uh, when he's on the radio in L.A. Ah, KHJ, and that's come together by you-know-who Beatles. He does believe in them. This is John Lennon at 606. Yeah. <laughs> I really thought it was interesting to listen to the evolution of these of this song because it's almost like a game of musical chairs. You know, John is trying out several different band lineups. There's one lineup where there is no bass. There's Klaus Vorman on piano, Lennon on acoustic guitar, and Ringo on drums. And I don't think Billy Preston has arrived yet. John is just it's still in an experimental mode. He's not quite sure what he wants on this. And isn't there one where at some point he's just having a discussion with Ringo and he says, yeah, I'm not really not liking where this is going at all. I feel kind of dead. You know, Ringo just kind of says, well, why don't we do some other stuff? And then, then we'll, we'll get back to this later if you feel like it. Yeah. 
I don't like it like this at all. In fact, I don't feel in the mood for any of this. Have a night off. Yeah, we could do. It's just such a shame to come in all the way and sprout about for two hours and then it's go. It's been you know. sprouting about for 12 hours and still not feeling like doing it. Yes, yes. Too. Maybe we could do things like put conga on, I yeah. found out, and put organ on the other one. Yeah. And then after that, maybe you feel like it. Yeah. Because I just I feel dead now. And then they eventually so, uh, uh, ended up um, on the day he turned 30 coming in and, and doing it. And I think it's wonderful that the that the story ends with both John and Billy Preston doubling up on, on two different pianos. And I remember there was, um, uh, in I think in the, the classic albums documentary about the making of this record, somebody said that John had just learned how to play the piano and, and was, uh, was doing it kind of raw. But that wasn't actually true because he had been playing piano on some of the Beatles demos since 1964. So there were pianos around and he could hold his own. Uh, I think, Hey Bulldog, I think is him on piano. Is it not? Yeah. I I think John learned at least the rudiments of piano in Hamburg. Oh, that's right. Cause there was one on stage at the Kaiser Keller. Well, John told a story about writing. I want to hold your hand at Jane Asher's and that they were at the piano. So unless you believe that only McCartney decided on the chords, <laughs> John was there on piano. <laughs> that sounds right. Because John was a very rhythmic piano player. It's just sort of like his right hand was sort of like the hi-hat, you know, duh, 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 duh. And he wrote like several right. different songs. I'm in love for the, the Billy J. Kramer, I think was another one written like that. So I can totally hear, I want to hold your hand. I wish that piano demo would get out sometime. I, yeah. I don't know whether it exists or not. Well, you know, they had to make demos for Dick James for a while. That's right. Peter Asher loves to tell that story. So, I mean, he, he's heard it. <laughs> not the demo, but he, he was there. He was apparently the first one that they called down. Wow. John was always very, very proud of that song. All the way up until the end. Uh, during the double fantasy sessions, he was talking about re-recording it. Had the 81 tour happened, uh, he was going to do She Loves You and, and Want to Hold Your Hand live in that set. <laughs> so he didn't want to be singing She Loves You at 30, but he was quite happy to do it at 40. <laughs> to do it at 40, yep. <laughs> Although, right. uh, to, to and, bring this back around again, you know, that would have made a, a killer either before or after love. <laughs> you know, if, if he does like a Yoko set, oh Yoko, dear Yoko, love, and she loves you. <laughs> a slow version of that. That would have been something. Yes, indeed. And to imagine just him doing the slow version of help that he had always uh, envisioned. Yeah, that was could be incredibly emotional. Okay, so we are to the the final track. It's uh, hold on. I have one question because I, you know, I kept thinking I'm gonna have to go look at this and see what the answer is, but I never had a chance when he did the demo of God, he didn't do the dream is over. So when did it get added in? Do you know? That's a good question. I don't because the, the, the guitar demo just ends with, and that's reality. And it's not spoken. It's actually sung. Right. It's sort of the folk song kind of thing. Cause I'd heard the demo and noticed it wasn't there. And I meant to go back and, go through all the versions to see what it might have shown up. 
That was probably written between then and, and the studio. The tape demo was recorded uh, in Los Angeles, so, you know, it's July, June, July, August. And then the actual studio recording would have been October. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can only imagine uh, there was an awful lot of drive time you know, from Tittenhurst Park into Abbey Road. And, you know, who knows where the mind can go during those trips. You know, he just could, he might have been on the way to the studio one day and just thought of this idea. Well, you know, the, dr- the dream is over. I need to tell everybody. It's not enough to just tell them that I don't believe in, in Beatles and just me. Then, then I need to tell you, oh, by the way, yeah, you need to move on. <laughs> Sorry, I love you, but right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it is the little final bit of this song. It certainly wraps up what he has said before. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking, you know, wonder where, when it showed up. Yeah, this album can be easily compared, with, I think, with Carol King's Tapestry, as far as like the the emotional honesty of both pieces, and you know, someone trying to come to terms with a breakup in their own mind and rationalize it, and to be able to say some of the things that they wanted to express but couldn't. Right. Carol King did just get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a performer this year. Ah, uh, well, good for her. She she was already in as a songwriter, but she she and the Go Go's got in this year, so it was, it was a big year for female <laughs> rock stars. Yeah, in this documentary I was talking about earlier, nineteen seventy one, the year that music changed everything. Now on Apple TV Plus, um, <laughs> it uh, Carol King's Tapestry was just a landmark moment in pop music and for women. And it just, it came out of nowhere and took the whole industry by surprise. I think it was like the largest selling album by a female artist in history. And it held that record for a long, long time, probably up until Stevie Nicks. Well, and and so so this re-release, I think, is actually going to give Yoko a bit more of her due. You know, people, or at least the people who want to listen to it, will see just how involved she was in these sessions. Yeah. That's going to be a hard call because, unfortunately, my experience with her was great, and she's an easy punchline. Yeah, unfortunately. I, I go on sometimes and, and will defend when somebody gets ridiculous on Facebook or something. But it just it happens so often. It's just part of the, our culture. But, I mean, you, know, you, you can't listen to the set and not come out of it saying... Yeah, she's responsible for a healthy chunk of the way the the album turned out. It is a shame that some of her input is barely audible because yeah. it's just there's no microphone picking it up and there's no, you know, the talk back isn't isn't showing up on the on the track in the way that we'd hear on some of the old Beatles session tapes. But she did give some very very valuable input. Uh, and was so instrumental in in holding that together, and it, that inspired the band to put that much more into the tracks for her album, for Yoko's Plastic Ono Band album, which is electrifying. It's some of the best guitar work that John Lennon has ever done, and Ringo's drumming is is just fantastic. It's a rocking, rocking album. For the people who haven't gotten the Blu-ray deluxe edition of the box, get it. If for no other reason, because you get the entire Yoko Ono Plastic Ono Band sessions, not just the album as it was released, it's the unedited sessions for the album. Wow. John's guitar playing on there is just phenomenal. 
you know, if you think what's on the release record is great, what's on the sessions that didn't come out, because it's not so much Yoko, is like, wow. That is interesting. Um, so I, I guess you've heard that, Ed. And so what are the yep. take breakdowns like? What's the, what's the between song banter like on the Yoko sessions? A lot of it is, you know, it's just song to song to song. There's, there's not a whole lot of talk back in between. And uh, maybe some of that has been edited out, but it looks from the sound of it, it's the tape running straight. Wow. Yoko then took those tapes and said, well, I like this bit and I like this bit and I like this bit. And, you know, comes up with a, a five or six minute song out of an hour's worth of recording. Well, there was a long piece that, that she had recorded earlier than that. Yeah. I think. The, the comparison that's been made is uh, it's very similar to the way like uh, Miles Davis worked. You know, Bitches Brew is, is one long session of which he then just took pieces, cut out pieces of, which made the final album. So we, we, are, we, are, we are at the final song, uh, My Mommy's Dead. Uh, three blind mice. Um, <laughs> right. Does it have but to bring is, Albert it, Goldman into this? In this case, this is one of the few instances where he's correct. <laughs> it's incredibly melancholy and reminds me in a strange way of the music that used to go with those 1930 black and white cartoons. It's of a different time. Like the original Mickey Mouse, uh, you mean? Yes. Yeah, hmm. dancing skeletons. So. You know, it, but I, um, I think that's that's a very valid analogy there because even when I was listening to it when I was younger, I, I listened to the rest of the album in color, and then I heard My Mummy's Dead in black and white. You know, any uh, imagery that was in my head was was very black and white and grainy, like the cassette tape. Yeah, I, I understand that totally. Well, and that is perhaps the way John saw it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that was the core that he got to out of Primal. Yeah, it's like his, his granny specs went away and the old horn rim glasses showed up. He's regressing in that tune. Uh, yeah, and, and, and there's a certain sense of shock as well, I think, in in his delivery that, to me, sounds audible. Yeah, it's true. It's interesting, the emotion that disappears when one is in a state of shock. John did two versions of it, and then they just transferred that to 8-track. Wow. He, hmm. he didn't be recorded. He didn't do anything with it. It's like, that's what I want. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's brilliant. <laughs> Yep, say, say yeah. what you have to say and then fade out. Yeah, and, and know when you said it. You know, you, he got exactly what he wanted. Didn't need to do anything else. Yeah, and it, it also acts as a bookend to the finished album as well because the album opens with this lo-fi, dark tolling of a bell and, uh, and kind of wraps up that way as well. I'll tell you, Darren, the, the part of the whole CD set that floored me most was the acapella version of the vocal to mother because the emotion in his voice and the perfect way he sings it is, you know, chilling. Yeah, it really is. I mean, he worked very, very hard at getting that right. And um, for, I think it was Phil McDonald or, or Richard Lush, one of the engineers on that record said he, he came in, um, 
he'd have to come in once a day uh, to take a stab at the vocals because, you know, he would shred his vocal cords trying to get that primal scream out and he wouldn't be able to yeah. do another take. If he didn't like it, he'd have to come back the next day and do it again. Very much like uh, Paul uh, during the Oh Darling sessions. That takes us through the demos and the evolution mixes. Any final words uh, before we close out these two weeks here? Um, you know, the only thing that um, that I think is missing from this box set would be the original recording of the bells that open um, the uh, the Plastic Ono Band album right before Mother oh. kicks in. They're obviously slowed down. I, I want to hear them in real time. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if those came out of the EMI toy box. You know, the same one that the Beatles so frequently dipped into when they wanted something. Yep, it's that's uh, quite possible. Yeah, they probably have a variety of church bells. And then it's like that that's the one especially if we slow it down, but uh, all right, great. So, uh let's see John, you and I will be back next week. We're going to finish up this set uh, since you mentioned the elements mixes. We'll go into that and we'll go into uh, basically everything else we have yet to cover. Yeah, that was called a teaser. <laughs> these pros they know what they're doing <laughs> but thank you for joining us darren it's, it's been it's been a blast these last two weeks thank you for putting up with me it's great talking to great you, talking to you john always take care all right bye subscribe to when they was fab on itunes podbean stitcher or wherever finer podcasts are found Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at when they was fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. This is John and Yoko, and we'd just like to thank all the Japanese people for allowing us to have a quiet time here and enjoy the beautiful country and eat the beautiful food. And we'd also like to thank them because they're going to buy our new album, John and Yoko. Hello, this is John and Yoko, and we'd just like to thank all the Japanese people for allowing us to have a quiet time here and enjoy the beautiful country and eat the beautiful food. And we'd also like to thank them because they're going to buy our new album, John and Yoko. Ah, yes, I think uh, haiku is the most beautiful poetry I've ever read. And uh, I'd like to simplify my lyrics as beautiful as, ha as haiku. And in the album I've just made, the lyrics are very simple and the music is very simple. And I feel as though it has a Zen spirit to mm. it. Hibushi, what's that? Kabuki? No, no, that... Uh, Shibui. Shibui. <laughs> this album is Shibui. <laughs> Free. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. 